welcome to Purpose Without Apology, a podcast for women who love God and think outside the box. Here, we talk about everything from relationships to careers to wealth building and more, and all through the lens of fulfilling your God-given purpose. My name is Lisa Gant. I'm a writer, wife, and mom, and my goal is to empower you to change the world. Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Purpose Without Apology. I'm your host, Lisa, and I am so happy that you are joining me here today. So today's episode is about waiting, more specifically why the wait is so long and really waiting in terms of God's timing, why God's timing in many cases seems to be just completely different from ours. Um, So our guiding scripture for this episode comes from Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 through 14. And it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, that scripture sounds pretty positive and uplifting if you think about it, right? Um, You know, I don't think that... Um, It feels that way a lot of times for many of us when we get down into the nitty gritty, dirty, you know, painful parts of waiting. Um, The truth is that waiting is in many cases uh, an agonizing experience. It can be um, incredibly painful and frustrating and uh, discouraging in many cases, which I think is why the psalmist says, take courage, let your heart take courage and be strong. Because um, so often when we are waiting on God to come through for us in, er- in an area of our lives, um, it can be discouraging. It can, um, we can start to lose our courage. We can start to lose our strength. Um, and that's normal. That's something that um, I think everyone goes through. Um, but let's talk about why that is, why the wait is so long, why it's necessary that it be long, and how we should respond to that. So first of all, let's just put the truth out there and just acknowledge it for what it is. God's timing is always different from ours. Just let that sit for a second. Always different from ours. Not sometimes, not even most of the time, but God's timing is always, literally every time. (laughs) The bigger the promise, the longer the wait is, and the more it goes against our own timing. And so why is that? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts, meaning God's thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I really want to take a moment to to process that scripture, right? It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how much higher God's ways are than our ways. I mean, think for a moment how much higher the sky is than the earth, the heavens, you know, referring to whether you're referring to the sky, you know, that we look up and see um, or the the, the stars, space, um, whatever you think of when you think of the heavens, right? There's several different meanings for that. But no matter which one you pick, it's a lot higher than the earth. <laughs> it's really, really a long distance, a big distance in in you know, perspective there. And so God is using that as an example to show basically that his ways are infinitely higher than ours. 
it is there is no end to how much higher his level of thinking is than ours. And because of that, because his ways are higher than our ways, because his thoughts are that much different than our thoughts, then whatever plans we make are always, you know, significantly smaller, infinitely smaller even than his plans, his ways, than his timing. Another scripture that kind of drives this point point home comes from Second uh, Peter chapter three verse eight, which says, "But do not forget this one thing, dear friends: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day." And that's another scripture that where you really have to stop and kind of catch your breath when you read it. Right? Just imagine for a second how it would feel to have a thousand years feel like a day to you. Just just process that. I mean, if you can, I'm not sure if I can, right? Just having a thousand years just feel like a moment in time. Or the reverse of that, a day is like a thousand years, meaning all the little intricate details of that day, all the things that God has planned for us, all the moments that he has carved out for us and laid out for us as a type of blueprint, That's it's a thousand years worth of planning that can go into a single day. Right. It's just it's just a, such a different perspective that our minds can't even conceive in our in our limited humanity. Right. We, we have no way of conceptualizing that because we exist inside of time. We don't know what it means to exist outside of time, to not really think in terms of what's happening tomorrow or next year or next month or, or 10 years from now. We don't have a frame of mind for those dates and times really not mattering as much. Right. But God does. And God is a generational God. He thinks in terms of generations. Um, you know, if you look at the Old Testament, when he was uh, speaking, you know, to p- various people all throughout the Old Testament, he always referred to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It wasn't just one of them. It was all three of them, meaning that that God, in his mind, he see thinks in terms of generations. He thinks in terms of not just you and your needs and your blessing and your paycheck, but he's thinking about your children and your children's children and your children's children's children that are coming after you. That's what he's thinking about when he's looking at you and looking at your life. He's also thinking about them. One of my favorite kind of things that I like to say is that God is in your future before you get there. So he knows what's coming. And there's a comfort in that. There's a peace in that, even if we aren't able to see that, right? But the reality is, the truth is that uh, even if we know that God is ahead of us and that God knows what's coming and God knows what's next and he has this great, grand, grandiose, amazing plan— That's not always comforting when we're going through the waiting process, when we're dealing with the frustration and the limit and the lack um, of waiting and not knowing when the door will open or when the breakthrough will come. So another reason that the wait is long is to build up our faith because our faith can kind of lag and start to to dwindle a little bit. So James chapter one, verses uh, two through three says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, this this scripture is not fun to read. I mean, this is not baby Christianity right here. This this is grown up stuff, right? <laughs> this this is next level Christianity, right? Um, this is you've graduated from Christianity one hundred and one, and we're at like Christianity five hundred one or something, right? Um, 
it's hard to face trials with joy. Um, and notice that James does not say that that's an easy thing to do. And he doesn't say consider it pure happiness, right? Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Joy is is maintaining peace and stability um, and trusting in God when you're in the middle of a storm or when, even if you're not, just trusting him, period. Um, and so that's why James is saying consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. And why should you do that? Because the trial is producing something important, something valuable. It, it's it's building up your faith to where you're strong in the Lord and, and you're 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 able to walk in his power and in his might, right? When we talk about the full armor of God and being being strong in the Lord, that's how we get there, right? The shield of faith in that in that analogy is is you know our biggest defense against the enemy and and against um just the stresses of this world we have to hold up that shield of faith but what makes that shield of faith strong in the first place it's going through trial it's having to wait on God's promise it's not getting what you want right away right that's what builds up that endurance and so to kind of add to that another layer to that we understand that the wait is long to make us mature, right? It's not just about building up our faith, but it's about overall maturity. It's about overall growth spiritually. Uh, the very next scripture after James um, chapter 1, verses 2, 3, 3, James chapter 1, 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians is when we um, abort the waiting process, when we interfere with what God is doing by having us wait, by trying to speed things up, right? Um, Sarah ran into trouble with that with Abraham, right? She she assumed that, uh, you know, God, when God said that she was going to have a son, she thought he meant her servant, Hagar. And so she came up with having Hagar sleep with Abraham. They had a son, had all kinds of family drama. Why? Because Sarah decided that the wait was taking too long and she decided to reinterpret what God had told her and what God had told Abraham. She decided to put her own spin on it. What happened in that process? She aborted or shortened the waiting process. She uh, uh, shortened and aborted the uh, maturing process that God was having her and Abraham go through. She cut that process short. Why? Because she interfered with the waiting. So I hope that that really ties that all together for you, right? When we step in and try to take over and do things our way and try to skip the waiting, we get we have we give birth to an Ishmael. We give birth to a counterfeit version of the promise that God has given us. And it, a lot of times it comes with drama. And so the, there's a maturing process that is supposed to happen in us due to us waiting on God that cannot happen any other way. And when we cut that process short, not only does it cause us problems, but we rob ourselves of the maturity of the process of being whole and complete and being fully able to embrace and carry everything that God has for us. The next reason that the wait is long and this is an important one. It's kind of emotional, but I'm going to try and handle it as sensitively as I can. The wait is long so that our motives can be revealed. Now, this can be a painful process, right? Um, so in Genesis 22, um, you know, it's it's one of the most um, painful and 
um, you know, kind of disturbing stories in the Bible, right? Um, God tests Abraham by by asking him to sacrifice his only son um, on a mountain. And Abraham is ready to go through with it. He takes uh, Isaac up to the mountain and, um, you know, he says that they're going to go worship. And, 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 and this is after Abraham has waited 25 years for his son, Isaac, over 25 years, really. Um, and it was just this long and grueling and, and, and agonizing process that he and Sarah went through. And after all of that, um, God says, okay, you need to, I gave you your son. Now you need to give him back to me. I mean, think about how, how horrifying that must have been for him and how um, painful that could must have been for him. But Abraham is willing to go through with the process. And at the end of the story, I mean, you really need to read it for yourself. God provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead and kind of renews and and really adds to the covenant that he has made with uh, Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So why did God do this? Was he just trying to be cruel? Was he trying to torture Abraham in some way? Was he being sadistic? Um, no, it wasn't any of those things. I mean, obviously in our in our thinking as as people, we that's our, the thing, first thing we go to, right? Is that God is just playing tricks on him and trying to be mean. But what it is, is, is more subtle than that. We have a tendency as people to worship the gift that God gives us more than him, more than the actual giver of the gift. And you see that in people's lives all the time, right? God gives you a husband and you're sing- you're a single woman and you desire to be married. God gives you a husband and he never hears from you again. You forget to pray. You don't go to church. You don't read your word. You don't have anything to do with God after that because your husband is now your God, Right. You, you, you ask God for uh, financial prosperity, um, for breakthrough in your finances, um, for, to give you a, a better job where you're paid more, right? And then once you do that, you suddenly don't remember to tithe. You have nothing that you want to give to him. You have nothing you want to give to the church or even beyond the church. You don't want to give, period. You just start worshiping your money and hoarding it and keeping it all for yourself, right? That happens all the time. I could go on and on and on of different examples. Um, you know, maybe you've asked God for a child and you've struggled with infertility. And then when God gives you that child, that child becomes your whole world to the point where you don't care about anything or anyone else but that child, right? I know that this is a sensitive topic, um, especially if you're in the midst of waiting for something and you want that thing so badly. Every fiber of your being wants that thing. Every cell in your body can not think about anything but that dream that you have for yourself, that that prayer that you've laid at the feet before God. I know some of you are like Hannah, just going before the Lord and weeping over how much you are brokenhearted over this thing that you really want God to do in your life. I understand that. I've been that way in, in different parts, different areas of my own life. It's hard to let that dream go. But there's a reason that God asks us to let it go. If we don't let it go, that thing takes a hold of us and it becomes a cruel and unyielding master for you to worship the thing that God gives you. 
and it is not what's best for us. And that's why he asks us to give it up and to put it back into his hands. Because if, if we wait, then we are less likely to worship that thing. If he forces us to wait and he extends the process, then it shows a lot of us whether we're worshiping the gift or the giver. Your ability to raise your hands and praise God, even as you're waiting for the thing that you want with all your heart, that shows that you don't worship that thing, but you worship the God who can give it to you. And he needs to see that in you before he can trust you with that thing. It's a hard lesson to learn. And a lot of us go through the motions and we say we love God. We say we honor him. We say that we are putting him first. Our heart, you know, we're lying to ourselves about that a lot of the time. And God can see our heart and know for sure how we really feel. And that was the process that God took Abraham through. Now, am I saying he's going to ask you to give up your son if you have a child or, or that he's going to ask you to give up your job if you have a job or, or he's going to ask you to give up your marriage? Absolutely not. Um, but there is a part of you that needs to lay down that dream and be willing to to honor God in the midst of the waiting for that dream and, and be like um, be like the 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 he the three Hebrew boys uh, Shadrach Meshach, Meshach and Abednego right before they entered the fire of even if he doesn't do this for us even if he doesn't rescue us from the fiery furnace even if he chooses to let us be destroyed we will still not worship your God we will still not worship uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue right. And, and that's what the point that we need to be at as is even if he doesn't do this for me, I still will not worship the thing that I want. I still will not make an idol out of this thing. And the last thing that uh, and the last reason that the wait is long and in many cases is ultimately so that God can get more glory. Exodus chapter three, verses 19 through 20 says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Now, this, this is kind of something I actually wrestled with earlier on in my walk with God, because part of me was just selfish and frustrated. And I was like, um, I don't want to go through hard stuff just so you can get attention, God. I'm sorry. I mean, I know some of y'all probably think that's blasphemous, but I'm just being honest. Like I went through a period when I was less mature in my walk with God earlier on where I was frustrated at the idea of having to deal with hard, hard stuff just so that God could get glory from my life, just so God could get attention, just so God could get credit um, for doing something. I didn't understand that. It bothered me, really, um, because I didn't want to go through the hard stuff. I didn't want to, I didn't really care about God getting attention like that. I didn't understand it. Um, but the way that I look at it is that, I mean, even as humans, we want to get credit for the things that we do. And we feel, in many cases, we feel that we deserve to get credit for the things that we do. I mean, look at your child. If you have a child from our parents out there, if you have a child who draws a picture and, you know, you, you, someone looks at it and says, oh, that was a great picture. And they start giving another child credit for the picture. Your, that your child is going to come up to them and be like, hey, 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 I drew that. 
That wasn't that other kid. That was me. I drew that. If you like that picture, you need to tell me, right? It's natural. And so even if we as as humans want credit for the things that we do, especially the good things that we do, how much more should a perfect and holy and righteous and blameless and sinless God desire credit and really be entitled to credit, honestly, for the things that he does in our lives? Why should we think that he would want to share credit with someone else who doesn't deserve it? Why do, why do we think that he should be okay with that? He's not. Uh, and so it's, it's not about God being petty or vindictive, but as a, as a righteous and pure God who intervenes in our lives and, and does miracles and does, you know, the unthinkable, does things that we can, could never do for ourselves, it makes sense that he would want credit for those things. And so in many cases, he'll stack the odds in, in, you know, against us so that he can come through and perform a miracle on our behalf so that no one else can take credit for that miracle. Because he doesn't want someone else swooping in and saying, oh, it was me. Yeah, it was my intelligence. It was my money. It was my resources. It was my talent. It was my effort. It was me that I'm the one who did that. That's not what God wants to hear. And so in this example with the, with, with in Exodus, um, with Moses and the Israelites, God sent those plagues one after the other, one after the other to make it clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the one who delivered the Israelites and that no one else did it, that no one could take credit for it, that no one could claim that they were the ones who put it all together. And that's something that he'll do. He will come in at the 11th hour. And I've seen him do it in my own life. I mean, even right now, we're in the process of um, building our house. And it has been a literally a 15-year-long wait for us. I'm 37 years old, and we are just now buying a house for the first time. And there's a lot of different things behind that, a lot of different things that um, kind of, you know, contribute to that. Um, I'm not saying that we always made the best decisions, um, you know, to where we couldn't, it's possible we could have bought earlier under different, there's a lot of things that happened. But the point of the matter is that we, the way that God opened the door for us to buy this house recently, um, and and we're in the process of having it built now, the way that he opened that door Literally, there is no other explanation that, that I have for that other than him, other than God. Um, he just made a way out of no way. He literally pushed us out of our rental situation and pushed us into a house within 30 days. Um, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to tell that whole story yet or not. Um, I, I'm leaning toward it. But um, right now, all I will say is it was a miraculous situation. And it was God opening a door just long enough for us to walk through it and then closing it right after. Um, And the process of waiting to get to that point was tremendously hard and frustrating for us. Um, But the relief of seeing how he did it and seeing how he stacked the odds to get us to that point made it so much more rewarding and so much more um, powerful and so much more exciting to be on the other side of that promise, right? And there are things that God is is wants to do in your life 
that he is stacking the odds for just so you can experience the joy of seeing it on the other side. He is making you like Hannah, where you're waiting on that that promise to be born. And then once it happens, you are getting five times what you prayed for on the other side. That's the that's the kind of God that he is. That's the kind of father that he is. And so when I say that he makes us wait so that uh, he can get more glory, it's not just about that. It's also about it being more of a blessing for you and giving you more joy and giving you the kind of testimony that your eyes light up when you tell other people what he did. It's not just it's not about torturing you. I promise it's not. It's not about stretching out your pain and making it worse um, than, than, you know, you feel it needs to be. It's not about that. It's about what's on the other side and the goodness and mercy that will follow you all the days of your life that's waiting for you on the other side. That's the kind of, uh, that's, that's the reason he does what he does. So I hope that encourages you. And so um, what do we do while we're waiting? Let's talk about that. I came up with what I call the ABCs of waiting on God. The first one is to anticipate what God will do. James chapter five, verses seven and eight says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, I know that this is referring to kind of a big picture waiting on Christ's return, right? But I think we can apply it to our lives on a day-to-day level also. If you think about farmers and you think about how they maintain their crops, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into farming. I um, I tried to start, <laughs> keyword is try, I tried to start a garden last year uh, in 2020, um, kind of in the middle of all of the um, pandemic, uh, the height of the pandemic when we were all home. Uh, I tried to start a garden. It is much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> um and it just requires just the level of effort that's in required. You know, you have to you don't just throw seeds in the ground and, and pour water on it and call it a day. You, you got to go through and, and weed out pests and, and you know, pull weeds up and, and you know, remove pests and, and look for, uh, you know, wilting leaves and prune it and, and, and all kinds of different things that you, you know, you're, it, it, there's a lot that's involved, basically. And. That is the approach that we need to take with waiting. It's not just this passive thing that we do. We are to wait the way farmers wait for crops to appear, right? When they wait for their harvest to to be ripened. You're looking for evidence of the ripeness. You're looking to see if the fruit is ready. Oh, well, is this done yet? I don't know. I think it could. we could give it a little bit more time. Oh, this one looks like it's almost there. Let's keep an eye on that. Oh, this one looks like it's it's having some trouble. Let's see if we can do something about that. Look, there's some pests there. Let's, let's get, you know, remove those, right? That's the attitude that we need to take when it comes to waiting on the promise of God. You look for signs of God's hand that he's moving, right? Is God starting to open a door for a promotion? Are you hearing some things at work where it's possible that they might want to promote soon, right? Are you looking, you know, in your dating life? Are you seeing potential um, people that that seem like they might be the right person for you, right? Um, when it comes to your fertility, are you taking care of yourself? Or are you, you know, seeking... Um, 
encouragement from from people that are walking through the same things as you, right? Are, are you, you know, trying to, to stay healthy and, and um, take care of your mental health so that you're not falling into depression and things like that? These are the things that we do when we're anticipating God to move. We don't just sit back and let things happen. We look for the open door. We look for when it's time to cross over. We look for opportunities that present themselves that look like they might be from the Lord. And we pray and seek him about that. Um, but we're also looking and anticipating and, and excited about what God will do. It's a more proactive attitude to take that I think um, will really help us to, to make the most out of the waiting. The next thing that we do is to be still. So the B in the ABCs of waiting stands for be still. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their evil schemes. And so what does it mean to be still, right? I mean, I just talked about anticipating and moving and working and, and taking advantage of opportunities and looking for things to happen. But and so this kind of seems to contradict that, right? What does it mean to be still? I think the stillness really refers to more of your spirit and and your attitude, right? It's really a more internal stillness that we're talking about. Um, is it okay to cry out to God and to vent and to express your frustration and to to bring all of your anxieties and, and, and thoughts to him and, and feelings to him? Absolutely. He encourages us to do that. The Bible says, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you, right? But in that process, there is a stillness that comes and there is a um, a peace that comes over us when we do that, when we bring our, our feelings to God, when we bring our, our anxieties to God, when we vent our frustrations to him, there is an exchange that happens there where the peace of God that passes all understanding, the Bible says it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's what that that's what causes that to happen is when we come before the Lord, we sit in his presence and we're still there, right? It's the difference between Mary and Martha. If you've read that story, Mary was sitting at the, the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach while her sister Martha was running around trying to keep the rest of the household taken care of, trying to do all the chores and do all the work. And so Jesus told them that what Mary had done was better sitting at his feet it doesn't mean that Mary didn't have stress. It doesn't mean that Mary wasn't worried about things. It doesn't mean that Mary didn't have thought times where her thoughts might wander, but she was seated at the feet of Jesus. She was found in his presence. She was looking to him for answers. And that's what it means to be still and know that God is God. And the last part of waiting, the C, as it were, stands for celebrate. Celebrate what God is doing right now. And the verse I have for this comes from Romans chapter five, verses three and four. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And so this is, I know that it's hard to think about celebrating when you're waiting it can be hard to think about celebrating something that you're not seeing yet. But that is really evidence in many cases that your faith has been built up, right? All of the things that we're talking about here 
in this episode that waiting does for us, right? The fact that waiting um, allows us to build up our faith, that waiting causes us to become more mature, that waiting reveals our motives, um, and that it gives God more glory, right? Part of the evidence that your faith has been built up and that the waiting has matured you is that you become able to celebrate what God is doing and celebrate it before you see it for yourselves. Um, Hebrews 11, if you haven't read it, um, it is a um, master class in you know faith and what faith looks like. And it is... Um, Part of one of the most powerful part, pas, parts of uh, that passage of scripture is when um, it talks about how the people that are listed in the hall of faith um, are, you know, that they, that they didn't see the full promise. They didn't see everything that God had promised them and God, that God had planned for them and that they trusted him anyway and they had faith anyway even knowing that they wouldn't see the full promise. And that's where we are supposed to be as believers. That's the place that we're trying to get to is that point where we can celebrate and trust God and believe God and, and, and experience joy even when we don't see the promise for ourselves, even when we don't see the full measure of the promise for ourselves. I think it's a powerful thing when we get to that point when we're able to do that. Celebration doesn't just mean that you have to be happy. Again, this is not about happiness. Um, your feelings are a lot of times a separate issue. You don't have to have happy. T- you don't have to be happy to have hope. You don't have to be happy to have peace and joy. You don't have to be happy to trust in God, know that He has good plans for you, and know that what you are trusting Him for will be better than what you personally want and your personal preferences. There is, there is a peace and a joy and a steadiness that comes with trusting in God and waiting on him and being able to celebrate his goodness, even if you don't feel like it. Um, again, it's like I keep coming back to the story of Hannah. Um, it's not, this is, isn't in my notes, but it just keeps resonating with me for some reason. Hannah was able to... Um, after she had been to the temple and Eli had spoken over her and said that she would receive what she promised, she was able to get up, dry her tears, go home and be with her husband. And God heard her prayer and she was able to recognize that he heard her prayer and to trust in that. And she no longer experienced the level of despair that she had before that scene at the temple with Eli. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. Even though your situation hasn't changed, even though you haven't received the the thing that you're waiting on, you can trust and celebrate what God has for you and experience his peace even in the midst of that. And the other thing I will say is look back at what God has already done. Because sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is to look back. Sometimes we spend too much time looking forward. But sometimes God is calling us to look back and see what he's already done and see how good that was and to see how he came through. And sometimes that's the most encouraging thing we can do. You don't look back long, right? You don't spend as much time looking in the rear view mirror as you do your front mirrors, right? When you're driving. So you don't look back forever. But there is a reason to look back and take note of his faithfulness and be encouraged by what he has already done, right? 
I love that song by Ty Tribbett. If he did it before, he'll do it again. Same God right now, same God back then. And we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes, that if he did it before, he can do it again. And sometimes looking back gives you the strength that you need to start looking forward again. So let's talk about your action step. What is one area where you are waiting on God to break through or bring change in your life? Uh, I want you to ask yourself that. And I also want you to think about these different steps and how you can specifically apply the areas of waiting to your life, the ABCs of waiting. I want you to look at things that you can do to appreciate uh, or to uh, anticipate what God is doing, to be still and know that he's in control and to celebrate um, what you believe he will do in the future. I think if you can take the time to do that and recognize those those steps and take those steps, it will encourage you and strengthen you so that you are able to wait on the Lord, to be strong, to let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord until the promise comes through for you. I promise that promise. <laughs> I promise that when God comes through for you, it will be spectacular and more than what you could have imagined. He has a wonderful way of doing that. So I hope that this episode encouraged you today. Um, I hope that it was a blessing for you. And um, I hope that it challenged you to think differently about the wait, why it's so long and what that means for you in your day-to-day life. So uh, that's it for this episode. And I will see you in the next one. Until next time, take care and God bless. This concludes another episode of Purpose Without Apology. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Until next time, remember, your purpose is waiting, so you need to go after it. See you in the next episode.